Paul has some very, very interesting messages on the meaning of marriage. Marriage, that's right, getting married. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hember. I'm Janice. You are watching Bible Discovery TV. We go through the Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 every year. We are on our way. We're in the New Testament of the Bible, the original text we read uh, over the past couple of months. But now we're into the New Testament. Very good. Ryan is here. Ryan, what's going on? Well, today I'm continuing my study from yesterday in which we learned how the first four Israelite festivals typified the major events of our Lord's first coming. And on this episode, we examined the final three feasts and what they typify. Janice? Today, real struggles. All right, very good. And Ray Craddock is here. We're going to talk to him later. Ray, good to have you here. Great to be here, Rod. All right, very good. Open up your Bible guide and turn to today's passage as we open up this subject on marriage. First Corinthians 7, 5 through 16. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. For I wish that all men were even as I myself. But each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry." For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now to the married I command, yet not I but the Lord. A wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. But to the rest I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean, but now they are holy." But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases. But God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 5-16 through 16. We continue to read through the Bible, going through the Bible in one year. It's very exciting. We're coming up on Revelation. And today we read 1 Corinthians chapter 7, chapter 8, and chapter 9. Now, the ancient city of Corinth was known for its moral decadence. To act like a Corinthian was kind of a slam on somebody. Well, Paul had started a church of the Lord Jesus Christ there in Corinth. 
and found that much of the culture had made its way into the church, causing great, great rift morally among believers. Paul speaks to the church at Corinth about the principles of marriage and also those who were unmarried. The advice taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is still relevant and good for us today. We live in a time and in a place that has drifted away from good and right behavior. Many people have backed away from moral absolutes and regular discipline in their life. It's easy when our culture believes that we came from slime, a byproduct of blind forces and accidents and chance, to believe that way to replace that true meaning in life and to put that thinking in place of personal creation. And therefore, no true meaningful marriage can exist with that in place. Now, that's important to remember, beloved. Now, now Paul talks to us about this, and he begins, he's actually talking to the ancient Corinthians, and human nature has not changed. We have not e evolved, as some people like to think. We haven't. Technology has, but we haven't. And so when we talk about this, we're talking about a meaningful marriage. A lot of people have this definition of marriage. You can get together with anything you want for tax reasons. But let me explain something. The biblical idea of marriage is a man and a woman in one place. That's what the Bible says. Now, I believe the Bible, and that's what it says. So this gets interesting. Take your Bible guide, turn to today's passage, because it's going to be something else. And let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. If you don't have a Bible guide, call us or write to us. We'll send you one. A sample. And uh, if you want to, you can go to Bible Discovery TV and make a donation there. We don't ask a specific amount. We ask that you pray about it and the Lord will speak to you. And then as he speaks, we accept that as a word from God. And you can download the PDF file in a, PD, in a way that uh, it's already printed. So it's very, very good. But let's pray and ask the Lord to help us today because this is a hard one. Father, I pray today that you would help us. This is a difficult passage for us today, especially in the last 20 years. And Father, I know that we're talking about a culture, the culture that we're speaking in right now, which over 50% of the marriages in some countries don't happen. And there's a high degree of divorce. Actually, in the United States, it's higher than 40%. And Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would help us to understand what you've programmed, that you are the one who created marriage and you are the one who programmed it. And I pray, Lord, that we would go back to your word and listen to it as we understand what Paul said. We're not trying to read into your word. We're trying to read from your word to change our hearts. So help us today in Jesus' wonderful name. And we said together, amen. Now, this is kind of a challenge but 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning with verse 5 says, Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Because of your lack of self-control. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. Paul says, I want you to remember this idea. 
Now, Paul's talking to husband and wives, and he says he gives the best advice about sexuality and marriage in our relationship with God. We would do well to focus on Christ first in our life. And let me tell you something. We would do well to focus first on Christ and not ourselves in our marriage. Did you hear that? I'm going to say it again. In our marriage, husbands, we would do well to focus on Christ and say, Lord, help me to serve my wife. Wives, you should say, Lord, help me to serve my husband. That's very important. This passage of scripture is interesting. We don't have time to go into it today, but it says that your body belongs to your wife and your wife's body belongs to you, husbands. The same with the wife. Very important. Paul talks about that in the Bible. He also says this in Chapter 7, verse 7, he says, For I wish that all men were even as myself single, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and the other in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. It is better to marry than to burn with passion. Paul says that singleness is a gift. If you are single and not desiring marriage, praise God. Praise God, beloved. Singleness is a gift that God has given. But marriage is normal. And we are in a different time, a time when we live in the world with sin. Now, there will come a time when things will be very different because God changes things. But I want to tell you something that if ever you've wondered about marriage and the Bible, today's a great time to think about it because it's all over the place. But marriage in the Bible has never changed. Always the same. Very interesting. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. It says this. It says, Now to the married I command, yet not I but the Lord. A wife is not to depart from her husband. I'm going to read that again. A wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And if a husband is not to divorce his wife. Read that again. A husband and a husband is not to divorce his wife. But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe, and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving uh, wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases. But God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? We don't have time to go into this, but Paul tells us that we should take our marriage seriously for life. This is hard to understand in our present world. But with God, all things are possible. Hard to get it. But God helps us through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can change our attitudes, can change our ideas, can change our thoughts. 
if we give him permission, Holy Spirit, we give you permission to change our thoughts and our ideas today. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Hi, Rod Hembry. We go through the Bible in one year. It's exciting. It's great. And you can join us by searching Bible Discovery TV on your phone. That's right, on your phone, your iPhone or your Android phone. And when you do so, you'll find the app. You can download the app and watch it anytime you want. Never miss a program right here on Bible Discovery TV. We'll see you there. Well, it's time now to carry on with our Bible study. And as I mentioned off the top of the program, my segment today is a continuation of our study from yesterday in which we learned about the first four annual feasts of Israel, which occur in the springtime and how they typified the major events of Jesus Christ's earthly ministry. But interestingly, after these spring feasts, there's a long summer break and then three more feasts in the fall. And the question is, if the spring feasts typify events of the Lord's first advent, then what does the long summer break and three remaining feasts typify? Well, let's see if we can figure this out. Leviticus 23 records the God-appointed feasts and festivals Israel was to observe each year to commemorate God's deliverance of his people. Interestingly, it is also through these feasts that God reveals his outline for the future. There are seven feasts in total, four in the spring and three in the fall. The spring feasts are Passover, Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, and Pentecost. And the fall feasts are the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. It is interesting that the first four spring feasts all typify or prefigure the major events of Jesus Christ's first coming, namely his death, resurrection, and the giving of the Holy Spirit. Also notice that there is a long gap between the four spring feasts and the three fall feasts. Some Bible scholars suggest that the long summertime prophetically pictures the time between the first and second comings of Christ, the present church age of almost 2,000 years. So, if the four spring feasts typify the major events of Christ's first advent and the long summertime represents the current church age, then logically, the three remaining feasts must typify key events of the Lord's second coming. Because these events are yet future and remain to be fulfilled, there is some room for interpretation on what the remaining festivals typify. The first fall feast is the Feast of Trumpets, which was a simple one-day celebration on which trumpets were blown, special sacrifices were offered, and no work was done. While not everyone agrees on which future event this represents, one idea is that it pictures the regathering of the Jewish people at the end of the tribulation, at which time a trumpet will be blown. The second fall feast is the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur, and was a day of fasting and repentance. While there are several aspects to the fulfillment of Yom Kippur, many scholars see the final fulfillment of this as the national repentance and salvation of the Jewish remnant in the end times. As Warren Worsby puts it, after Israel is gathered to her land, the Jews will see the rejected Messiah, repent of their sins, and be cleansed. The final feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, also called the Feast of Booths, commemorates the wilderness wanderings of the Israelites, during which time they lived in tents and walked with God as their head. While the previous feast was one of fasting and repentance, this was one of celebration. 
the children of Israel would gather the fruit of beautiful trees, branches of palm trees, the boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and rejoice before the Lord for seven days. Many scholars think that prophetically the Feast of Tabernacles looks to the millennial reign of Christ and the rest of his people in their promised land. Thus, just as the first four feasts typified the major events of Christ's first advent, the final three picture certain coming events of his second. You know, it really is truly amazing. God, here in Leviticus 23, reveals his complete outline for the future. The first four feasts have found fulfillment in Jesus' earthly ministry, and right now we're in the long summer break, the church age, which has been going on for nearly 2,000 years. But that summer of grace could end at any moment, which will make way for the fulfillment of the final three feasts after the Great Tribulation. The only question I have for you is, are you prepared? Now is the time to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior if you haven't done so. Isaiah the prophet reminds us to seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. It's time to get on the ark because God's about to shut the door, and when he does, it'll be too late for you. Trust me, you do not want to be here when God unleashes his wrath on the world. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it because I love you all too much. But the truth is, Jesus Christ is literally the only one standing between you and an eternity in hell. So if you haven't repented of your sins and asked for the free gift of salvation that God provides through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, then what are you waiting for? We're not promised tomorrow. Today is your day of salvation. And so the way you do that, Ryan, is you pray and you say, Lord Jesus, uh, I come to you and help me to understand what it is you've done. I, I want to be your person. I want to be your child. I I have sin and I, I need forgiveness for that sin. I know you have paid the cost of sin and you rose again after being crucified alive again. And I pray, Lord, that you would come into my heart and save me today in Jesus name, amen. Now, some people, they're serious about that prayer and they close their eyes to lock out everything else, but that's the reason that we pray to God and that's why we're so involved in it on this program, very interesting, so make sure that you know the Lord today. Janice? I'm going to kind of piggyback on that issues that, that you were talking about and Ryan was talking about. I, I had titled my segment, Real Struggles. And there are some people, Rod and Ryan and, and Ray as well, that they think that Christianity is religion. It's a set of rules. It's a, I do this and I can be that. And, and, I, I, and I, if I don't want to follow that set of rules, I don't want to have anything to do with God. And what you're talking about is, is a relationship. It's a personal relationship. And, and, and can it be true that a God, a God that created this universe would be interested in me? And the answer is absolutely yes. And he has made a way for you as he's made a way for me. And does that mean when we give our lives to follow Jesus Christ that we're going to be perfect people? Absolutely not. That's why Jesus came, because he knows we have weaknesses and there's nothing that we can do in of ourselves. Life is a struggle. And when you give your life to Christ, it becomes sometimes a greater struggle because you're fighting against yourself sometimes because of the tendencies that we have that aren't following Christ. And so when we invite Christ into our lives, it, it becomes a personal relationship, much like Paul is talking about here with marriage. 
and, and keeping the marriage vows and, and husbands with wives and wives with husbands and those that are unmarried, whatever situation you find yourself in, whether you're a widow or a widower, God cares about all of these things. He cares about relationships. That's, that's what we bring to eternity with us. It's not our stuff. It's the people. It's people. It's you. It's me. It's our husbands. It's our wives. It's our children. That's what God is concerned with. And so today, as we read this, as you've heard Rod's teaching on marriage, you know, the truth of it is there are real struggles. There are struggles in our relationships with people. A lot of times it is with our spouses. I remember when Rod, you and I first got married and there was a whole bunch of things I was going to change about you. I was going to change things about Rod. Just living with me would straighten him out. And you know what? Through time, a lot of those things I realized wasn't his problem. It was mine, and I was the one that had to do the changing. And so as we're reading this, keep an open mind when you come to the Word of God. God loves you, and He wants a relationship with you, and He cares about you, and He cares about the people around you, and the choices that we make affect the people around us. So that's what we have to keep in mind. They really do. And uh, Janice, you know, I see you as my wife, and you're the other half of me. Uh, And, you know, that's together— we make decisions and together uh, that's the way God shows us as a married couple. And that's the way God really expects, I think, people to work forward in marriage. And it's tough sometimes, isn't it? It is. 41 years, we just celebrated 41 years of marriage and yet there are still things that we are learning and working through, just like you at home. It's... um, That's right. (laughs) We always need God's help. The good news is we have eternity to work these things out too. So very interesting. Uh, Ray is here. And Ray, yesterday, the citizen of London, applied to be a citizen of Canada. Uh, You talked about getting saved. Yes. You talked about coming to the Lord. You're 17 years old. Now you're saved. You've been introduced to God. Your family is not saved. You're trying to figure out what's going on. So now after you get saved from the ravages of hell because of your sin, how do you go forward? Well, it's interesting because sometimes the Lord wants to show you who he is. It's different from a feeling. And I'm so glad that you spoke about the uh, issues of of, um, Christianity not being following a set of rules and regulations, because in my early days, I was a rule breaker. And so it wouldn't be any good. Uh, But in relationship with him, in relationship with him and getting to know the Holy Spirit, there's a willingness to comply with the things of God, which so I'm I'm so glad you mentioned that. But yes, uh, uh, God sometimes just needs to show up to do things for you. And the first thing that really caught my attention in my relationship with him after that initial experience at the church was when he healed me of a poisonous leg. I had been involved in an accident in a skating rink. I'd fallen over, two bolts had gone into my leg and tissue was hanging out and all this horrible stuff. And um, uh, within, I think it was about 24 hours, I was in absolute agony. I was taken to the hospital the bolts that penetrated my leg were rusty and so on. And so my, my leg was now poisonous. So the doctor said, I'm going to take, I'm going to arrange for you to go to hospital tomorrow. This is what's going to happen, blah, blah, blah. So that night I couldn't even stand up. It was so bad. And my uncle and my mother 
carried me into bed. And as I'm laying in bed, I remembered some of the things the pastor said, that God can heal you. The Bible says God can heal you. So I prayed myself to sleep, asking for God to heal me. You prayed yourself asleep? Yes. I just prayed and fell asleep. And um, the next morning, my mum comes in and she says, Ray, your breakfast is on the table and disappears. Now, the night before, they carried me in. So I don't know how she's expecting me to get out there. So I threw the covers back and I got up and I went out. I'm sitting at the table having my breakfast. And I thought, I don't feel any pain. My leg was totally healed. Hmm. And so we, uh, my mother canceled the ambulance and I didn't have to go there. Went to the doctors. He took, he, he, it was stitched. He took the stitches out. He says, nothing wrong with you. Wow. So that was my first experience. And that, God healed. Yes. And it, Rod, I tell you, that impacted my life so much uh, that a year later, I'm sitting, I'd been to a a missionary meeting. A year later, sitting in the car of my little 1960, at the steering wheel, my little 1961 Volkswagen Beetle that I had. (laughs) And the Lord said, now I want all your time. I didn't quite know what it meant, but it was such a powerful moment. I just sat at the steering wheel and cried. And eventually began to understand that he wanted me to train, whatever that means, for the ministry. At so 17. It's, it's important. So how old were you when that? When 17. He, when he called you full-time? In the yes. Seven 17. And it was several years later that I think it was when I was 21 or 22 that I actually went into Bible college. Now, what about your your mom and, and all of that? Uh, she, you know, we've got 50 seconds. Left, right. But well, she... My poor mom, bless her. So <laughs> the first time I, I have a Bible, I put it under my arm and she says, what's that? I said, it's a Bible. She said, what do you mean a Bible? I said, well, I'm just going to church. You're going to church? She said, that's a five-minute wonder. That won't last. <laughs> and um, so she, she said, but you're going to be walking down the street with a Bible under your arms? I said, yes, because she was now embarrassed concerning the neighbors. Some years later, I was able to lead her to the Lord. Oh, my goodness. We're going to have to hear about this. So, yeah, we're going to have to hear about this uh, more tomorrow. So call people and let them know that we have uh, Ray Craddock on. Uh, it's just a great testimony. And we're going to talk about many other things, too. So uh, just make sure they know it and join us on the next program. Thanks for praying with us today. Those prayer requests come in from all over the place and we pray and God will do the work as we lift them up in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But today I think we should pray this way and say, Lord, I pray that my marriage or whatever situation I find myself in, that this would be turned to serve you. Help me today to serve you, Lord. This is what I ask in Jesus' name, amen.